This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The future. So cool, right? All of those amazing new innovations that are going to make life even better. Like, okay, wouldn't it be great if your car could change color to match your mood? Oh, wait, no, to match your outfit. Ooh, I think I would like that. Buick is thinking about the future every day. A future built around you with super smart Buick EVs that can make your life even better. And soothing spa-like interiors that can leave you feeling relaxed and refreshed. Wait, is that eucalyptus? Oh, believe me, the future smells incredible. And it's all out there waiting. So let's go to the future together. Wanna go? Join us at Buick.com slash future. This podcast is proudly in association with Pitch Sport Football, the app that allows you to interact with other West Ham fans, pick your starting eleven, and participate in fan time videos. This app is absolutely free, so like I've done, like X has done, and like thousands of other West Ham fans have done, get this downloaded if you haven't already. That's Pitch Sport Football. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi. Good evening and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself Dave Walker and Syrian YTK blogger XWHU employee. Tim Breaker was a constant for West Ham in the 90s and to this day remains one of the best fullbacks this club has ever seen. Tonight Tim joins us to look back at his career for the Amers and answer questions from our collective followers on social media. X will also be giving us exclusive news and views so don't go anywhere. Tim, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you on. Hey, keep it, mate. You well? Yeah, very well. Um, you know, all things considered, obviously, it's a difficult time for everybody in the country, but luckily I've got a garden and some dogs to take for a walk and a bike to go on. So, yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Good to hear, mate. Take us back to when you signed for West Ham from Luton. How did that move come about and what do you remember from that time? Um, 
well, uh, long way, long time ago. But I remember the uh, the last game of the season. Funny enough, for Luton, uh, I scored and we stayed up. Last game at Derby. Anyway, next season it was nothing different. Everyone was up for sale. Uh, a few clubs were interested. Um, nothing happened. Then one day I got the hook in training and said, pretty much they'd agreed a fee with West Ham. Um, so no agent or nothing like that. Off I went down to a hotel in in Luton, and there was Billy Bonds, um, Tom Finn, and uh, oh, I can't think of his name now. Bill. He was the chief scout anyway. Lovely old guy. Uh, keep thinking Bill Nickerson, but it obviously weren't him. Anyway, it was like you know meeting. We want to sign you and all this sort of thing. Um, I was very happy to sign, but. I'd sort of been told, not by an agent or anything, but by somebody at the club to delay things because they wanted to try and get more money out of the deal, I think. Uh, so I think I, we weren't playing that weekend, but I think West Ham were. And uh, I was given time to think about it, basically. And then Bill was ringing me over the weekend. And then I was told, yeah, you can, you can go. So off I went and signed and that was it. Well, and how did you feel about... West Ham initially coming in for you was that excitement? Did you feel a bit numb to it? Was you was you ready to leave Luton at the time? Um, I think I was ready for a new move. I mean, the thing was as well, like with any player at the time, or any player now, you, you just want to go to a, a good club where you wanted. And, and Bill made that really obvious when I met him, um, and that was fantastic for me. Obviously, a legend of a guy, fantastic club, and. Um, in a lot of ways, it was very similar to Luton in that uh, it was a family club. Uh, like playing football the right way, which I loved. I'd grown up on that. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, there's a bit of a side to the story, which I don't know if you know. I don't know if I can tell you about. Um, but the season before, Lou Macari, uh, I actually met Lou Macari when he was West Ham manager, um, unofficially, as it were. Um, and he said he wanted to sign me then. And I was like, okay, brilliant. You know, never heard nothing. Um, sort of had a meeting and I'll get back to you. I didn't hear anything. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know if they couldn't agree with me, but that was the year before with Lou Macari. So I don't know if then um, the chief scout sort of put me into Bill. And Bill, you know, I, I was always known as Bill's first signing, which I was immensely proud of as well, you know. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it all came together. Thank goodness. So, you've, you've kind of touched upon it anyway, but as you said, you were Billy Bond's first ever signing, which is obviously a great um, claim to fame. I mean, how important was he to the move and what were your first impressions as him as a, uh, as a person and as a manager? Um, yeah, I mean... Obviously, I knew he was a legend at the club anyway. Um, I'd seen him play um, when I was a kid and something about the way he was and the way um, he went about things. You know, it sort of um, was something that I liked, put it that way. He was the sort of player, you know, give everything. And that's what I tried to get anywhere near that. And I think, well, I've done well. Um, so, yeah, the fact that he showed the interest in me was, uh, you know, a big part of, of me moving. And then when I got there, funny enough, um, I was ill. I was ill. I had a stomach bug, and um, and I think the game that I said earlier, where um, I, I got a feeling they beat Hull seven nil, 
the game before, so he wasn't going to change things. And I said, well, to be honest, Bill, I've got a bit of a stunt bug anyway, you know. So he said, don't worry. And then he took me out on the pitch um, at the bowling ground and said, oh, come on, we'll just do a bit of running, you know. I thought, all right, this is a bit different. The manager's going to take me for a little run around the pitch anyway. Before you know it, he's doing strides up and down the pitch and I'm trying to stay up with him, you know. <laughs> what's, what's this all about? <laughs> yeah, he was fantastic as a manager, as a guy, um, as a man, uh, to look up to a legend. And um, yeah, I was always happy to be known as his first signing. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, you actually made your debut. I think it was a 1-0 win away at Swindon. Um, what, what was it like to finally get that shirt on your back and run out as a West Ham player? Uh, from memory, that it was it was great. You know, it's always uh, you want a little bit of time to settle in, and that it gave me that time. Um, I was mm. sub, came on. Um, the lads were fantastic with me. The team was going well, which obviously helps. Um, just really enjoyed it. Was looking forward to. I think the first game at home was uh, against Blackburn, but um, I do remember my first. Uh, game at Upton Park, I thought, well, this is a, it was Billy Bonds' testimonial, but it was his 20 years, like second testimonial. So mm. I thought, oh, that'd be a nice way to sort of break into like a low key game. Anyway, turned up for the game. I think there was 20,000 there. It was unbelievable. I, couldn't, I thought, wow, and this is just a testimonial, and the atmosphere was great. And I remember Bill playing, and um, so that was a nice way to sort of break into it. And like I say, the team was doing well. So really enjoyed it and it was one of those seasons from then we just kept winning and we were on a roll and um, I was lucky to come into a winning team so yeah really enjoyed it. What were your sort of initial impressions in terms of the the difference between Luton and West Ham was there was there much of a difference or, or did it sort of feel similar? Or? Um, I think the thing about the Luton thing was I'd grown up there as a kid and I'd become a senior player as it were because a lot of the players had been sold and moved on. Um, at West Ham, there was still a lot of uh, senior players there. If you like, you'd been there a lot of time. People like Alvin and Gailey, people like that, you know, uh, George, Paris and Stevie Potts who'd come through the ranks. Um, there was a lot of a, a good mixture. And I think at the time, uh, from memory, I think the signings that uh, the club wanted to had been bringing in and wanted to bring in were sort of Player. I was 25 at the time, so I had a little bit of experience, but a little bit of um, something more to add, if you like. So uh, it, it was a good mix, you know. And I remember, um, I think I did my medical at the ground, and um, uh, Frank McAvenny was there, and he was do he had a run out for the reserves, you know, and he was fantastic, you know, like a club legend, and one of the first lads I met, and he was like, listen, don't worry about it, you'll be great, you'll, you'll love it. Uh, I remember him saying to me something like, because, um, you know, it was like West Ham, the Academy of Football, and you're thinking you're going to be judged on your technical ability first and foremost. And he said, look, listen, don't worry about all that. He said, if you get a chance to put somebody in a chicken run, chicken run do that and you'll be away. So I thought, you know what, <laughs> I think I can do that. <laughs> Who was the first victim? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they still haven't found him, X. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah, still there underneath the rubble. <laughs> I know that, um, Tim, Tim, you, your first season included a fantastic cup run and an amazing victory in the quarterfinals against Everton. I mean, what a game that was. You featured in that, I believe, but 
you missed out on the semi-finals. How did you feel to miss out on the semi-final? And what do you remember from that day, despite not being involved, especially the turnout from the West Ham fans? Yeah, um, interesting, really, because it was one of those sort of uh, bit of sweet for me because um, I played in the quarter-final and that was one of the best atmospheres I've ever played in. and Electric, you know, and um, I crossed the ball for Colin Foster to score and the roof went off sort of thing. And fantastic, you know, semi-final, looking forward to it. And I had a, I had a, a niggling knee injury that I'd been carrying for a while and I was sort of advised, listen, don't, if you have this little uh, operation like uh, an arthroscope, no problem, you'll be back within two weeks. So I thought, all right then, at least I'll be back for the semi-final. Um, didn't work out that way and I missed the game, um, obviously. So that was a massive disappointment. Um, I'd already had two semi-finals with Luton and lost, missed out on those two. Um, so I thought this might be third time lucky for me. So I disappointed the game and then obviously the way, not saying I would have, been able to do much in the game to help but the way the game went with Gailey getting sent off and I was sitting with all West Ham fans and you know the atmosphere was something you'll never forget in terms of them uh, the way they tried to get behind the players and you know unfortunate for Gailey but um, sort of a bit of sweet memory really but yeah I do remember the uh, Billy Bonds Clown group Blue Army shout all the way through the game and um, drowning out the Forest fans. Um, yeah, so a bit of sweet memories, really. Mm. That was actually my um, first ever season of going to West Ham, and that was my first ever, if you if you can call it that, away game. And you know, I, I was always like, my dad made me West Ham, and all my friends were like Arsenal, and you know, all the all the successful teams. But it was after that day when I saw how amazing the West Ham fans were, despite being four 0 down. And I was like, right, this is it, this is it for life now. So yeah, it was because of that I've been suffering for thirty odd years now. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what differentiates West Ham fans from other fans really, is that you can be looking at a result like that and still be that vocal and still show your passion for your football club despite the, the, the kind of performance and result in front of you. You know, special day, for, you know, in a strange way because it was for the wrong reasons, but special day that West Ham fans talk about to this day. Yeah, amazing that in that adversity. Well, you know, it, that happened early on in the game and um, it still didn't affect them enjoying the day out and remembering it and making the best of the situation. And yeah, that's something they've uh, become synonymous with uh, that type of mentality. And personally, yeah, that's something that I love as well. That never say die attitude. And um, okay, everybody wants to win, but it's not at all costs. If that makes sense, you know, they like mm. to see the football played the right way. And traditionally, um, you know, that's something that's, I think, um, very unique to the club or there's not many clubs can say that about themselves, you know. Mm. So it ended up being a successful year anyway, despite the FA Cup, because we got promoted. Um, and it was the, la the last day of the season where it was close between us and Oldham, I think. And uh, yeah, we just, yeah. uh, just we, we celebrated as if we'd won the league. And then obviously the news came through that they'd scored in the last minute, I think, just to pip us, which, which was a shame. I think the fans were on the pitch at the time. Um, what do you remember about that? Was it a feeling of still jubilation that we got promotion? Or was there that element that had been taken off it just because of that last day result? Yeah, um, I think it was sort of job done and, you know, a lot of celebrating. So, um, you know, maybe we've missed out on the title. I, I do remember the game being very nervy. 
um, as those sort of games are. And I do remember Notts County doing everything to try and upset us and try and put us off and not, not playing really. But, you know, fair play to Oldham. They won the title. We, I think at the end of it, it, it was one of those you look back on, well, it would have been nice to say you won it, but it was a job done and we, we all celebrated and the fans, were, like you say, I remember them being on the pitch and uh, a bit of relief as well, you know, because we'd been up there for quite a while and we wanted to make sure that we got promoted, you know, um, and that was the most important thing. So, uh, yeah. It, it, it was a good day. It was a good day, but it would have been even better if we'd have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. The next season was a struggle, though, Tim, and we went down. Um, yeah. Why do you think that happened? Was it literally a case of we wasn't good enough, or were there other factors, in your opinion? Um, I think there was other factors. You know, not to make excuses. Um, one thing, forget about anything else. But if you looked at the team uh, that we had the season before, and the team that we had. The, season, the next season in the division above, um, there was a lot of players missing, there was injuries, we never got any sort of um, rhythm going. Um, then there was the, the bond scheme, uh, um, mm. you know, all the uh, demonstrations and things which didn't help, but understandably because, and I think rightly so, fans wanted to... Uh, show their disappointment of what was supposed to be happening and when you're playing you're in the middle of that a little bit um, but forgetting about that we, we, we didn't have a better we had a better team the season before you know mm. um, I like to say we're in rhythm I mean I can even remember I'm sure it was that season um, that we played in the Makita tournament at Highbury um, and just goes to show injuries we had in pre-season I was playing centre-half up against Fiali and people like this and I've never ever played there in my life before mm. it was like you're playing there tomorrow and, and I just remember thinking you know we never had we never we didn't show as, as well as we had done the season before and think well if we'd have had the same team the same rhythm as the season before could we have done better you know mm. Well, I mean, the next year, we then went straight back up. So it was another positive. Um, and again, came down to the last day of the season. So eventful as ever. And uh, we beat Cambridge on the last day. Again, sparking another pitch invasion. Um, what's, your, what's, your, what's your memories from that day? Um, yeah, I do, I do remember the pitch invasion. I do remember um, the pressure, really. It's a bit, it, was, it, was, it seemed more pressured, maybe because... I think there was a lot of talk about being in the Premier League when it started and that sort of thing and uh, making sure we're up there um, and we'd sort of, but we had some, I think I'm sure, yeah, that season we brought in some experienced players, uh, Clive Allen, Chrissy Hoot and I think David Speedy, Speedy. yeah. yeah. Um, and that helped us a bit, you know, that helped us a bit. Um, but yeah, again, it was another one of those sort of job done really. Um, and then you, you concentrate on what you can do the next season and hopefully do better than we've done before. Mm. We stayed up in 93-94, but this season, I think, was famous for the transfers. Obviously, Dixie went to Liverpool in exchange for Mike Marsh and David Burrows with the money left being used to buy Lee Chapman. Um, what did you think of that business? And, and what did the players feel about that business as well because obviously losing someone like Julian Dix was massive but then you're getting ultimately free players in exchange what, what was your overall thoughts at the time and in hindsight um, at the time obviously you, you want to keep hold of your best players and Dixie was obviously that massive mm. player for the club and 
great character, um, captain, you know, that sort of play you don't want to lose. Um, and then when you see other ones coming in, um, good players, obviously well-known players, um, you know, you're not part of the discussions, but you think maybe they just thought we needed to shake things up and change it around. And that's the only way we could do it. Um, and obviously, it did have a bit of an effect, bit of an effect. Paul Kitson as well, from memory, came in some sort of time. Um, or was he the season after? No, anyway, um, but yeah, it was like a change in. Um, and, you know, personally, you just want to be, you hope that you can still be part of it yourself and, and um, do better in that division, I suppose. Uh, and that's part of football, the club tries to move forward and as a player you want to like I said, you want to be involved in it and, and still be there yourself. So it sort of maybe it had that effect in hindsight of keeping everybody on their toes and you know, just because you got promoted, just because you know you're now supposedly in that division doesn't mean to say that you you um your position is not under pressure, you know? So a bit of that I'd say. Mm-hmm. I mean, they ultimately ended up keeping us up, and which was good. And uh, and then obviously Julian returned eventually. So so good yeah. scenarios all around. But um, the next season in the summer, we this is the sort of ninety four ninety five season. We signed right. a young a young player called Joey Beecham, um, who decided that London was too far from Oxford and left. I mean, what what was the, what did the players make of this saga? And you know, what was Joey like? And could you really believe what was going on as professional footballers? Um. I thought it was quite sad, really, in terms of, you know, um, uh, he, I can remember, I'd forgotten completely all about it, to be totally honest with you, but I do remember him coming in in pre-season and being quite a shy lad. Um, you know, I wasn't naturally outgoing, but the lads at the time really helped me and, and our lads at the time tried to help him and he just obviously didn't want to be there for whatever reason. You know, you're not part to the discussions that maybe he had, maybe an agent, or who knows. But um, I just thought it was a little bit sad that he didn't get a chance uh, to show what he could do. Um, but some players, you know, they move and first day it all kicks off and off they go. Others, it, it don't work out. Obviously, for him, it didn't work out. Um, and for us, you're thinking, mm, right, OK, who else is coming or uh, what they're going to do with the money or you know, that type of thing, um, you, you know, if, if you're a good professional, you want the team to be improved with good players and you want players you want to be there, who want to be with you. And and um, obviously, you know, sadly for Joey, he didn't, you know. Yeah. That season also saw Bonzo be replaced by Harry Redknapp. What do you remember about this situation and how did the players feel? Because, you know, we've spoken to a number of ex-pros and, and this question obviously comes yeah. up from that time. And uh, understandably, a lot of players, if they do have an opinion on what happened, they're not overly comfortable sharing it. Are you the same? Do you have an opinion on it? And if so, can you share that with us? Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely got an opinion on it um, in terms of, you know, you knew what happened, knew what you were there when it happened, put it that way. Um, I just thought what only, you know, not everybody know, people know, some people know exactly what happened, not many people, but um, I just thought it was unfortunate. Um, I just thought um, Bill, for me, was a fantastic bloke, uh, legend at the club, um, players loved him. I think Harry helped him um, immensely, you know, um, and I've, lucky, I've been lucky enough to be an assistant manager to um, 
some good managers and, and it's you try and play your part and it's a hard job for one person to do on their own so the, the, the thing between the two the assistant and the manager is a massive thing for any football club and I, I thought the two of them complemented each other put it that way um, and was really disappointed for Bill to go um, and then what you know like you have your opinions you keep it yourself you don't know unless you're part it's exactly what happened then you it's, you just have to get on with your job, basically, and and um, and then soon games come and you move on. But um, you know, in terms of the people who actually know what happened, um, you'd, you'd have to ask them, really. And just my opinion, I just thought it was very sad because for Bill, um, like an absolute legend of the club. I mean, I was lucky enough to be there uh, with the uh, stand naming, and um, didn't really get a chance to speak to him because. Um, I, didn't, I couldn't get there till late. I was working, um, but fantastic that he could go back there. But I think for a little while after what happened, he didn't. He wasn't really seen at some part, which I thought that was very sad. Um, mm. And for myself, I was just, you know, like you said earlier, I was proud to be called his first signing, and you know, um, what a legend of a, a player, but absolutely legend of a man. Mm. When you look back at that time. Do you remember how that was handled by either the directors or Harry Redknapp? You know, when Bill left the club, did Harry call a meeting and just be honest with the players, tell everyone what had happened, just carried on like nothing had happened? What do you remember about that transitional period between the two? Um, I do remember a meeting. I do remember a meeting, to be honest. Um, a big meeting with everybody in the gym. Um, and I think Harry sort of said look um bill's leaving um there was a bit of um, the, the club wanted him to take the job um and he was undecided um and then we were going to be told whether he was going to be there on monday sort of thing that that was that was as much as i can remember of the meeting and that was all right shock to everybody um and then because we had, because Bill hadn't spoken to us, I suppose, and then you get rumours about why has this happened, and people have their own opinions, and like I say, we don't nobody really knows. But that's as much as I can remember of the day we were told, and I do remember it. I do remember the meeting, um, and like I say, for me personally, um, I was disappointed in for a lot of ways because. Bill meant a lot to me, you know, not just as a manager, but as a um, as a man and a somebody you could look up to as a character, somebody if you could, you know, try and be um, anywhere near a person. Forget about footballer, but as a person that's in, then I think you you'd be in the right direction, you know. Mm, absolutely. Really well said, mate. And I think it's so um, fitting and so deserved that he got the stand named after him. I mean, it was looking for a long time that it wouldn't happen, but I'm so glad it did. And you could see the emotion on his face um, in any sort of photo that you see or the video or being at the yeah. ground at the time. And it's so deserved. If anyone deserved a stand named after him, as you've said, it was that man. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do remember something else, actually. I just remembered. Um, I know when um, the last game at Upton Park and you, you remember the um, nobody could get near the ground mm-hmm. and um, I'd driven with a friend of mine um, who we were on a course we were up on a course uh, David Hunt we were up in um, uh, St George's Park we drove down and managed to get parked and we were trying to get into the ground 
and we saw Bill's car in one of the streets outside the ground and um, he just had to turn around. There was no way he could get near the ground. And and I, me and David walked through and I think not, not many people recognised me, but there was no way Bill could get through that crowd and get to the ground and um, he had to turn around. And I, but I knew that he was trying to get there, which you know, it was a shame that he couldn't make it. Yeah, that is really sad that he couldn't get there. I mean, I'm, glad, I'm also glad that you shouted out Dave Hunt there as well because I was wondering how I was going to work his name into this interview. So, so, so you've done it for me. So that's, that's one thing ticked off. So thank you for that. And obviously Dave's someone we've actually had on this podcast as right. well. Um, and he's, he's he's very you know very interesting fellow with his recruitment tales at West Ham. Yeah. The involvement he's been in a number of the players that we've got now. Um, but enough about Dave. You've had your shout yeah. out now. So <laughs> um, so yeah. we, we we move we move on. And obviously Harry Redknapp was now the manager, and and he brought one of his sort of first moves in terms of transfers was to bring back Julian Dix, Tony Cotty, and a Don Hutchinson as well. I mean, how how important were those three players and the fact that two of them were already club legends? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, obviously, you would have known Dixie, um, TC, been the club before, knew what he could do. Uh, Don, a little bit unknown, but I, I presume Harry through his contacts at at Liverpool with his son and what have you, um, knew that that was going to be a good bit of business for the club. Um, there was a lot of potential there with Don. Obviously, the other two a little bit more experience, but yeah, all good sign, all good signings. Um, we're going to help you in different areas. Uh, a little bit of, like, say, a young one, um, some experience, uh, know the club, feeling for the club, really want to be there. Massively important. Obviously, Harry identified that, and all well and good, you know. Mm. Um, football's all about moments and memories you know that better than anyone and uh, you've had your fair share with your time at West Ham one of those was of course stopping Man United winning the league tell us oh, what yeah. you remember about that because that, that was incredible wasn't it yeah it's funny that's one that comes up um, when you finish playing because of the Man United connection and um, somebody told me I've not seen it that my name got mentioned in a book Ferguson book or something because um I presume you're going to come up with the handball and um, you know from the day or basically I remember we we were safe we were relaxed um, we knew it was a big game for Man United and Blackburn um, but the shackles were off for us we could enjoy the day um, and we did and obviously massive for Man United they were um, you know trying to get a winner battering us um, and I do remember the ball across into the box. I'm jumping to head, head the ball, and my arm sort of got stuck underneath somebody's shoulder, and I think it might have been Steve Bruce. So now my hand's in front of my head as I'm just about to head the ball. So I headed my hand on the ball. So yeah, it, it was handball. And um, obviously the Man United players are going crazy. It's handball. The ref, and ref didn't give it, waved it on, and sort of almost coming up to me, it was handball and thinking, what, what do they think I'm going to do? Go to run to the ref and say, yeah, I handballed it, you know? And um, obviously for them, it was a massive thing that they, they'll remember. But yeah, it was, it was handball, but it was completely an accident. And yeah, well, what could I do? But I do remember it. I do remember it. <laughs> apart, from, apart from Ferguson saying it in his book, have any of the, the players given you any stick for that afterwards? 
I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But you know, you get the old Man United fan. Did you handball it? I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was trying to head the ball in my hand. What do you want me to do? Go up to the referee. You know. <laughs> well, well let, let's be honest. They've had their fair share of decisions go their way, haven't they? So they, they're going to yeah. have to just swallow that one. I was just, um, I'm glad it wasn't Paolo Di Canio that had done that with his sportsmanship. Could have changed the course <laughs> of history. <laughs> I don't think uh, Gailey at Blackburn and the lads there would have been very happy with me. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. The way these questions are falling, it seems like everything I've got is on transfers. But anyway, another player that we brought in, in the, su- in the summer of 1996, we signed a Dutchman, and his name was Marco Bugers. <laughs> and, he, and he was famously sent off on his debut away at Manchester United for quite an X-rated challenge, so we stay on Gary Neville. Um, and, and, you know, he's one of those players in West Ham history that goes down a bit of folklore, really, because he was such a, you know, a mystery and his story is so strange. I mean, what, what do you remember about him what was he like as a character and and sort of yeah. were you surprised the way he went missing I guess <laughs> yeah again one of those you never know the full story do you just lad comes into training with you know we, we didn't we didn't know him um you know we knew that obviously he was brought in to help us and was going to be a centre forward who was going to score goals for us and you try and help lads come in to settle in and um as much as you can. His English wasn't fantastic, um, which is always difficult, must be difficult for any foreign player going into a new country, let alone a new club and the whole thing. Um, again, decent enough lad, um, waiting for his chance. And obviously that happens for him. He's almost so excited. He's, you know, overexcited, if you like, and that happens and it must be very hard if if you're coming into a club and you're trying to impress and you just don't get any moment and don't get going and then, like you say, what happened to him? Where did he go? Don't know. Well, the players really? not told then. Turned up for training one day and he wasn't there. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, from memory, that's how it was, yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. It, was, it was never spoken about? <laughs> well, we, you chat about, well, what happened to him? Then? Is it <laughs> you know, Family problem, you know, that's the one normally. It's like, oh, family couldn't settle or something. Oh, that quick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I mean, sad for any player like that. You know, it's their dream move. And for whatever reason, it must be horrendous. Like, say, picking up an injury or an illness or something bad happened with the family. It must be quite difficult. So, but yeah, a legend for... Maybe not the right reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and just another thing that can only happen at West Ham. It's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Well, you wait. Yeah. You wait. This, this hasn't stopped yet. I've got even more questions with further <laughs> players. So there's even, there's even more. There's more coming. Yeah, <laughs> we have. Um, okay, so uh, on the final game of the 95-96 season, we saw the debuts of Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard. And I think it was also Alvin Martin's final game for the club. So quite a kind of um, iconic game for those reasons. How yes. good were Rio and Frank at the time? And were you surprised to see him go on and achieve what they've achieved? Um, yeah, they were, they were obviously, you know, it's in hindsight, to be totally honest, um, Rio, you could see him in training and um, an absolute Rolls Royce, if nothing else, you know, and a good footballer as well. Um, from memory, Frank had been around the club a little bit longer in terms of he'd come in as a young... I remember him coming in 
from school on a you know on school holidays and basically joining in and being around and um and for frank i you know i when i've i've had a few jobs um coaching and you speak to young players and obviously it's no good me talking about myself because they think well did you actually play you know how long ago was that you know was it in black and white or whatever you know <laughs> and um but with frank at this sort of time when he was the top player i could say to young players um you know, do you know what? Um, there's a great example of a of a player who maybe didn't have everything, but look at what he's achieved. You know, with sheer hard work, determination, and um, hats off to him. That that was one thing I could say to him that he um, it wasn't it wasn't written in stone that he was going to be a top international as he had done. It wasn't written in stone that he was going to have a career. You know, um, some. Have got natural talents, and you can see it like Rio. To be honest, you just you, you know you could see that even as an athlete, he, it was going to be he was going to be a good player. You know, you never know what level they're going to get to. But Frank really, really worked hard on his game. He was always out there um, working on his weaknesses, um, had a determination, look in his eye that no matter what, he was going to make it, and um, obviously he did to a fantastic level you know um and i don't think maybe um his his dad and his uncle harry they would have maybe said that at the time but if anyone at the time said they thought that was going to happen or well, i certainly didn't and then, yeah, i'd be very surprised if anyone did mm. so fair play to him but yeah and then joe cole as well mm. another one what what a talent some fantastic young players there mm. Well, it's, it's interesting what you say there, because like I said, when we had Dave Hunt on, he said when he recruits a player, obviously they've got to have the talent and the skills, but the most important thing when he looks is the attitude and the, the mental ability to develop um, themselves as players and the commitment as, as as important as the skill level, because for the likes of Lampard that have gone from, you know, maybe being not as good as a kid to developing into a world-class player, there's like Ravel Morrisons that have gone the other way. So like it's really interesting to hear. I guess you you went what you've your you yourself have been in recruitment. I guess that's something that you look for as well in players, is it? The men the mental side of it as much as the actual football ability. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it underpins everything everything with any player. It, you have to have that. It, you you have to have them, you know, the um determination. Um, you know, I wasn't the sort who it didn't come natural for me in some ways. I, I had to work it. Every single player has to work it, and no matter how talented you are, there's been, you know, and I think sometimes even even more so now with agents get involved, and nobody wants to tell players, you know, that things they they need to work on, and because an agent says it to them or a club are fighting and losing him, and but there's there's no um, substitute for hard work and determination, and I suppose it's the same in a lot of walks of life, but definitely in football, it's like. If you haven't got the right attitude, they don't care how um, skilled you are and how good, at, uh, um, how much ability you've got. If you haven't got the attitude, then it doesn't count for nothing. Spot on. Yeah, definitely. And so back to my strange signing section I seem to have um, in 1996-97. Uh, in this was the sort of era when we started to bring in foreign players. So we had the likes of Radichoyu, Futre, and there's a story around a certain number 10 shirt before the Arsenal game featuring uh, Paolo Futre and John Moncur. Um, what, what do you remember about this incident? Um, 
Yeah, I was there. Um, I do remember bits of it, um, but and I know a lot of it's um, been talked about. I, I just remember a little bit of thinking, what's going on now? I just want to concentrate on on the game. And you know, first game of the season, you obviously um, I was concentrating on myself to make sure I was right myself. To be honest, I, I, and other than that, I, there's you know there was an argument and what have you, and a bit of that going on. Um, I think that's as much as I can add on it. I do remember Paolo Futcher's first day turning up at the training ground, or the first day, at, well, we actually weren't at the training ground. We were, um, you might have heard this story already, but the first day pre-season, we went down to some, like a country park to do some running. So it was like, oh, down the country park, first day, it's going to be an easy day, and what have you, a little jog around, a little chat, everybody has a stretch, and what have you. So, um, or drive down there and stand and wait to start and this big black limo pulls into the car park and um, out steps Paolo Futre and everyone's like, who's that? <laughs> Is that Paolo Futre? You know, so he comes up and has a little jog around with us, gets back in the limo and off he goes, you know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's, is, that, is, that, is that the same thing happens when we do this podcast face to face X with you isn't it yeah, yeah exactly I've got places to get to mate I can't stick around <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's uh, close to the helicopter though but um, that's, it, yeah. that's it that's in service that yeah. <laughs> I mean is it right that because obviously I think it's well known that, that Paolo wanted that number 10 shirt. And I think it ultimately resulted in John Moncur saying to Paolo, I'll give you the number 10 shirt in exchange for two weeks at your villa at Portugal. Is that right? That I, I can't say for sure. I, I would imagine that's the sort of thing that Johnny Moncur would be uh, well, we we say, we do say one or the other. I would say definitely, yeah. <laughs> well, we we do pre-match events, and we've had John Moncur as one of our guests, and uh, he and he and he tells that story brilliantly, like how he did actually bargain with Paolo to get to get a two-week stay and stuff, and uh, it's it's quite a good story, really. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we've spoken about the likes of Joey Beecham and Marco Bugas. I mean, someone else I just have to ask you about is who X alluded to earlier was Florin Radicoyu. Yeah. I mean, you know, from a fan's perspective, when you read what you read and you heard what you heard, you know, you kind of feel disappointed, frustrated and angry with the way that he conducted himself, you know, especially when you look at like the Harvey Nicks story, especially which went public. From a player's yeah. perspective, what was he like in the dressing room? Um, obviously, I mean, World Cup talented name that we all knew and think, oh, wow, what a signing, you know? Um, Again, it's probably easier now, but back then it was probably hard for players to come in, foreign players especially, and settle. And I think everybody tried to help him. Um, maybe if you ask me now, I'd say, did he want to be there? No, he didn't. He didn't want to be there. So, you know, you're trying to sort of think maybe you help him settle and um, this is, this is uh, the season's going to start and we've got to, you know, we need you to help us, and and um, I just remember it. I don't know if you've talked about this one, but um, Torquay pre-season game, and John Gittens was the centre half. I'm sure it was John Gittens. Yeah, it he, was. Yeah, was it? Was yeah. it? And I just remember him going through him a bit, and think, and he went, he went missing. You know, we all thought, well, right, fair enough, it's pre-season, but if the word goes round like that, that 
you know, this big signing, if all you need to do is get a bit tight to him and, and lay your finger on him, then he won't, he won't come back. Then we thought it was going to be difficult for him. And um, whether it was that or not, I don't know. But it, it was, again, sad, sad because we thought he's, he's obviously, you could see in training, he's a talented player. Um, but if he didn't want to be there, he didn't want to be there. And what could you do? And then you just have to sort of try and get on with your job and hopefully it will be resolved. And, but disappointing when you see somebody with talent who's not using it or don't want to be there, it, it disappointing for everyone else who obviously does. And, you know, you, need, you everyone will tell you, uh, all players will tell you, ex-players, you know, if you, you go out anywhere, especially away from home somewhere and, One's not quite at it. You can carry him for a little bit, but ultimately you can't. Mm. You can't um, play with ten men um, if they don't want to be there for whatever reason, you know. Mm. And like you said, you can tell he was a quality player. I think he's got a couple of goals for us. One against Manchester United it was actually a decent finish, and you know he had a mm. good pedigree mm. in the World Cups and in Spain mm. and stuff. But like you yeah. say, you've got to have the right mental attitude for the league yeah. as well. Yeah. As yeah, and I, 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 he reminded me of Clive Allen, you know. Clive, Clive came to us at the end of his career, but what a talent, you know. Mm. What a talent. And, um, and people might look at him and think, you know, he just sort of go out onto the pitch and it just happens. But no, it doesn't. You know, those talented players, it doesn't. You know, they still have to psych themselves up. They still have to be mentally tough to challenge and, you know, whatever it may be. And um, then their, their talent comes out. But you would, yeah, that's what we hoped he was going to be a sort of a, a younger Clive Allen, if you like. He was going to score unbelievable goals that we'd seen, you know, internationally in the World Cup. And you know, you're thinking, what a player! But unfortunately, it didn't happen. You know. So at this point, obviously, food tray and Redditry hadn't worked out and we were getting quite desperate in terms of firepower in a bit of a relegation battle. And then Harry made two doubles, a double signing, sorry, which has gone down again in legend. Um, and that was the signing of Hartson and Kitson, um, who were brought in together and to formed an immediate partnership that ultimately contributed to, to keeping us up. I mean, what, what were those two like? How, how good were those signings? Yeah, uh, very good, very good. Um, and, you know, you don't see it so much now, but you see uh, most teams generally would have two centre-forwards, but you'd, you'd want two centre-forwards who complement each other. You know, the old-fashioned big man, small man, or one who runs in behind, one who's good at holding it up. You know, um, a quick one, a more technical one, whatever it might be. And those two were sort of made for each other really and, and really good signings, good lads, good players. Um, again, the, the big thing was they wanted to be there and they wanted to show what they could do. You know, they saw it as a chance for them to prove other people wrong, you know, um, and that we benefited from that massively. We also signed another fantastic player that season in Slavin Bilic. What was he like as a player and as a man? And were you surprised to see him go on to, to be a manager in the game? Um, no, not surprised at all that he went on to be a manager and a, a very good one and a successful one. He, he, he was quite a thinker, um, wanted to talk about things, not just football, um, all sorts of things about the culture and things that happened in his country compared to ours and internationals and, and, and everything. Very sort of, um, yeah, uh, a good thinker, good player, good leader, good talker, um, loved football. You, yeah, you could see 
it doesn't surprise me that he's gone on and been a manager and done very well. Did he yeah. did he enjoy did he enjoy a cigarette in those days, Tim, as well or not? He did, he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Oh yeah, because uh, we used to we used to, you know, back in them days it was beer, wasn't it? It was a couple of beers after the game in the players' bar and um I know we had the unfortunate thing players' bar, that's it, it's banned, you can't no drinking after the game, but to be honest. It didn't really stop. We just met up a pub around the corner somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. That's just how it was. It was what that was where it was back in them days, and that's what you looked forward to. You know, I remember one time I can't remember the exact, but Harry's saying like, "You, you, not you, you ungrown boys. All you have is a beer. Look at, look at uh, the foreign lads. You know, they just stick to a little glass of wine." We're like, "Hold on, mate, smoking about twenty." <laughs> And drinking wine like it's going out of fashion. I think <laughs> beer might be the better, the better option. But yeah, yeah. Well, um, talking of another player, looking at his physique now, I think he's probably started to enjoy drink a lot more than since he's retired. But um, this player that we want to talk about now is Isle Berkovich. He was brought in in that in that summer. I don't, I don't know if you've seen him recently. He looks no. very, uh, yeah, very different to what he did in his heyday. That's for sure. Anyway. Um, he was an absolutely fantastic player. And I mean, I think, you know, I don't think personally as a West Ham fan, he gets the recognition he should do in terms of actually how quality he was. Is that something that you would agree with? I mean, I just remember brilliant assists, through balls, just so creative. Um, and he, he that season, got John Hartson scored loads of goals. Mm. A lot of it was down to him. How good a player was he? Yeah, uh, technically very, very good. Very, very good. And... Um, you know, maybe for him, if he was maybe a generation later, that would have helped him, I'd have said. Yeah. Uh, you know, game from my sort of watching things became more spread out, more technical players involved, um, more space for those sort of players compared to, uh, you know, centre forwards getting kicked and no space and but he was the sort you could give him the ball in very tight areas and you wouldn't get it off him and then he'd see a pass from there and create um so yeah very very technical very good footballer um maybe like i said in a different era you would have seen more of him you know um but yeah very good player very good very good signing um I don't know what you're saying about him now, but we've all changed a bit. But <laughs> I, I can get a picture of him somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, yeah. Actually, there's actually a funny picture of him and John Hartson. They met up about 20 odd years later um, after, right. that, after that famous oh, incident. Thanks. Yeah, and I think it's because we had John as a guest this season, actually, and he was saying right. it was pure, purely random that they met up. And I can't remember yeah. where it was. It might have mm. been that John was covering a Wales game in Israel or something like that. I think that. it was. Right. Yeah, and they just randomly bumped into each other but yeah it's a it's a good photo anyway <laughs> well speaking of, speaking of johnny artson uh he continued to score the goals and we missed out on a uefa cup spot by one place and we also got to two cup quarterfinals losing to arsenal in both um how disappointing was that i mean do you think we had a chance i mean you look at that on paper that was a that was a good season where we could have made something happen was did we overachieve in that season or, or should we have achieved more um to be honest, I think uh, it's the old cliche, you are, you finish where you are and sometimes, and, but then in your career you think, well, maybe if that would have gone our way or that penalty shootout or whatever it may be, decision. And um, 
but you do remember teams that click and you think, you know, especially like myself, gone on to the coaching one and um, watching teams and players and you see teams that have got, somehow it, it happens as a balance sometimes. And I think that team had a good balance. Um, you know, even just saying about the centre forwards and different types of players, and you know, and, and I know from being on the other side, that's what I mean. That I mean by coaching, it's some, it's very hard to get into, and sometimes it happens by luck, you know. But when you get that, that's when you want to make the most of it, and you do need that little bit of luck to achieve a little bit more. But so, in answer to your question, yeah, I think could have done more really that team maybe a little bit more belief as well. Um, a little bit of luck as well goes goes a long way, doesn't it? But yeah, that was a good team. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they were very, very unlucky, particularly the penalty um, loss in the quarterfinal. You know, we'd, I think we'd outplayed them from memory and obviously just came down to the penalties. Unfortunately, Samasia Boo missing the, the crucial kick, I seem to remember. Um, so the next season, we, we brought in Ian Wright. Ian Wright, obviously one of the biggest characters in the game. What was he, a breath of fresh air to the changing room? Yeah, oh, he's, he's a fabulous guy, a, a, a nice character. And, you know, I've seen bits of him. I haven't had contact with him for many years. But um, if, you, if you ask me honestly, um, before he came to the club, I wasn't really his greatest fan. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Neither uh, West Ham fans. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd had a few run-ins with him. and But as much as anything, it... It, it, he wanted to win, do you know what I mean? But the good thing I could say about it is in terms of his character, he, you know, he was, he is what he is. You, you still see that now when you see him. But behind the scenes, he, he, you know, he cared about everybody and he's a good human being. Um, mm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't any sort of big time Charlie about him at all. Um, you know, from, you know, the cleaners and the cook and the chef and the bus driver and, had a lot of time for people like that and and some of those sort of um so-called superstars i don't think that's always the case but with him it definitely was you know so i had a lot of respect for him as a bloke to be honest mm. in your last game tim you were brought off at half time against arsenal and we went on to lose that game four nil did you mm. know your time was up and how sad were you to be leaving west ham after such a long time yeah um very very sad the whole um the whole thing was a bit disappointing but to be honest it, it was something that i knew my time was up in terms of you know i wouldn't say i wasn't wanted but i wanted to play basically i wanted to play um i've always felt you know no matter what that there was nothing worse than you know being injured on the sidelines or sub or whatever and, and i just didn't want to play out my career um, and be a bit part player. I wanted to play and, you know, your time goes quickly and you're only, you think you've only got so many years um, of, of a career, you know, and you, you look back and on the games that you've played and the time and that you live for that getting on the pitch and playing in front of a crowd and the buzz of everything, you know, and I just wanted to play. Um, I was coming out of contract um, and I was doing a sports science degree. Um, I obviously wanted to play as long as I could, but I wanted to continue doing my studies. Um, and 
the opportunity for me to go on loan to QPR came about because Ian Dowie got the caretaker's job and me and Ludo went off to QPR and played and the fact that I was allowed to go made me think, all oh, right, okay, maybe I'm a bit surplus here. Mm. Uh, and then Jerry Francis got the job at QPR and made it, um, made it known to me that he wanted me to go there and um, he was going to give me a, a two-year contract, which meant that I could carry on, finish my degree, and live in London and, and um, what have you, and most importantly for me, uh, play. Um, so I then went, I, I had an injury at QPR, I went back to West Ham um, and pretty much just said to Harry, look, you know, if you, if you, uh, if, you know, if I'm not going to get a new contract here, I'm not part of your plans, look, I don't want to miss out on the move basically. Um, and then he sort of said to me, look, at the moment, um, I need you around because I've got a few injuries myself. And um, so it went on like that. And then then he said to me, um, so he said, just keep in contact. I went and knocked on his door again and said, Harry, what's happening? And he said, well, you might actually be playing Saturday. So I was like, all right. Okay, brilliant. Really? Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that was against Arsenal and Overmars. And, you know, I was coming back from injury and whatever. But um, I remember thinking, well, at least hopefully I'll get a, a chance. And I thought this is my last game. And I think um, Frank Lampard Senior sort of had said to me, look, after the game, I think he's happy for you to go. So I thought, oh, at least I'm going to get maybe a chance in my own way to say goodbye. But like I say, the game wasn't going well. So I was taken off at half time. And, and uh, that was the end of me, really. Um, and then I was told on Monday, yeah, you can, you can go. And... That was it, basically. Um, but like I say, for me, uh, and uh, looking back now, I think it was the right decision. Um, my my main thing was I wanted to play, and I went there and I played games for the next couple of years. I ended up as a coach and assistant manager there, and it was another chapter for me, you know. Um, and I didn't really want to be thought of at West Ham that I just hung around and played the odd bit part game here and there. I didn't want to sort of finish on them lines I wanted to be for myself as well as you know as well as fans think oh you know remembering me as a player and not not as a, um, a sub if you like so yeah that was that's how it came about basically yeah no I can understand that I can totally understand that did you uh, get a chance to say your goodbyes within the club or was it one of them where you was a West Ham player on Saturday and just woke up on Monday and you wasn't no I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to any lads or anything it was really that, yeah it was it you know phone call you can go. I think they, they knew that um, the ones who were close to me knew that um, that I'd, I'd asked, look, if you don't want it, if I'm not going to get a new contract, then please let me go now because in the summer then there might not be a contract for me wherever it may be or it might be in another part of the country or another somewhere else where I can't continue finishing my degree. And um, I knew obviously at my age that that was something that was important to me that I wanted to do something to protect myself in the future, to have a, another um, career. Um, but also I, I just wanted to be able to play as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it, it, I don't think there's many who always, who get the chance to say goodbye in the right way or, you know, um, players, it doesn't happen like that. 
some are lucky, but you know, for me, I, you know, I'd, I was lucky in that I had, at least I had that one game where I got on the pitch and, you know, in my heart, I knew that was the last time I was going to play, where sometimes, you know, you don't, you don't know that's coming, you know, but at least I, I had that comfort, if you like. Yeah, I mean, it's so sad. I mean, X, you'll agree with this. It seems to be a bit of a trend with ex-players when you speak about their time at West Ham and how it came to an end. I mean, in, in more recent times, you, you remind me of James Collins, Ginge, you know, when it came to West Ham, he didn't know if he was coming or going and, and he kept knocking on the door saying, am I getting a contract, am I not? And ultimately he didn't and he never got to say his goodbye to the fans. And, you know, it was a similar length of service to yourself, Tim. And it's after all those years, you know, the club owe it to the fans to say goodbye to the likes of you. So it's not just cheating the player walking away, it's cheating the fans because we want to show our appreciation as well, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, um, maybe nowadays it's, it's easier that, to get in contact with players. I do remember doing a, an interview with the programme, uh, trying to think, um, and uh, this was after I'd left, and I was just pleased that I could you know, say goodbye in that way or say thank you to the fans and, um, you know, and, and put something out there, if you like. Nowadays, I presume they've got Twitter and things where they can at least um, speak to fans, but in them days, you, you couldn't really. Mm. Uh, you couldn't sort of um, let your feelings be known and give your side to the story, you know. Um, you know, and all, like I say, like I'm saying now, that was all I wanted to say thanks for my time there and how much I'd enjoyed it. And my reason for going was simply that I just loved football and wanted to play as long as I could. And um, I just saw that as going to happen more elsewhere rather than, um, you know, at the present time as it was there at the club. Mm-hmm. I mean, since we've started this podcast, which is about three years now, our first ever guest was Trevor Brookin. So we started, we started quite high. Um, we, uh, we, um, we, uh, you know, I always look back and I feel quite privileged that we get the chance to speak to ex-footballers and talk about their time and, mm. you know, and ask them questions and so on. And with you, Tim, you were the first signing I can remember West Ham ever making because, as I said, 1990 was my first season as a season right. ticket holder. So the first signing I can remember us making. And obviously, throughout the 90s, I've gone from being an 11-year-old lad to almost 20. So it was a good time to support West Ham. And um, I'd like to say, sort of on behalf of the West Ham fans, that you were a proper servant to the club, really, really respected and rated as a player. And, you know, whenever I pick my best team that I've seen play, you're always to my right back. So, and there's a number of people that would say that and I'm not just saying that because you're on the oh, show yeah. no it's true mate it's true you know you go on Twitter you see the reaction so I just wanted to put it out there that you know thank you for your time at the club and you know there's many many a true West Ham fans that know how how important you were in, in that in that decade well you told me you thought Tim was shit yeah to be fair <laughs> I just I was, I was a bit worried that you'd play him that's, <laughs> that's the off-air stuff <laughs> <laughs> He didn't, Tim. He didn't. He was the one hammering me in the chicken run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, fi- so finally, last question from us. Obviously, we've got sure. some from the listeners. But the, the last question from me is, we know that you've been involved. You've, you've mentioned it yourself. You've been the assistant manager at a few places. Yeah. Leicester, I believe, and um, a few yeah. other clubs. Um, yeah. You were chief scout, head of recruitment at Bolton. Are you still yeah. there? What's your current position? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, funny enough, I'm still down somewhere on a website or something because I get agents ringing me all the time. Yeah, Wikipedia. <laughs> is it? Yeah, is that what it yeah is? You're, you're chief scout at Bolton at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm joking. I, 
I've been out, I was out the other day with my dogs and uh, my wife and we're walking along the canal. I get this phone call and I think, who's that? So I answer it and then a bloke just says, uh, hi Tim, what are you looking for? I'm like, <laughs> my dogs. They don't sort of say you still work in for Boulder and you say, no, sorry, I'm not. It's like, what, uh, hi Tim, what are you looking for in the next window? <laughs> All right, All right. What window are you talking about? You know, it's, I, I, haven't, I haven't worked there for it for a year or so now. Um, very sad, very sad. Not from for me, but for the club. You know the yeah. way it happened. Mm. I just hope that you know in this current climate. I think a lot of a lot of football league clubs. You just hope they can survive and get through it. There's a lot of tradition there, and I think um, I've been lucky. I've worked at, um, since leaving West Ham. QPR, Plymouth, Charlton, Millwall, um, Bolton. I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> if me and Steve Lyman scored, that was yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I've worked at a lot of levels and watched a lot of football. And I just think we forget that our, our pyramid of football clubs is unique to the world. It's unique. And um, you, you realise that when you're scouting as well, you get put foreign players into you and they're in the second division in Spain or somewhere and you go on your computer and you look at it and you think, is this non-league? Mm. And it's like equivalent to our championship, you know? Mm. And, um, and that is purely down to the amount of supporters. Like these non-league clubs get more supporters than sort of professional clubs in other countries. And it's just amazing the pyramid that we've got. And I just hope that because of what's happening now, that that doesn't change at all. I hope. Oh, that doesn't change because that's about supporters and who love football at that level and they, they, you know it's not about okay the Premier League's fantastic but it's not all about that it's the pyramid of the whole thing and um, it's, a, it's a massive part of football in our country and that's why you know we love it so much and I just hope that don't change so are you looking to get back into into football have you got any sort of in the pipe anything in the pipeline or um I've been lucky enough to have worked with Phil Parkinson at three clubs and not only he's a very good manager, but he's a very good friend of mine and uh, I've got a lot of respect for him and um, I've worked for him previously and um, really enjoyed it as much as anything and um, I've had opportunities to to work for other people um, as a scout um, but I haven't taken them pretty much because um, it wouldn't be the same working in a big environment with um, um, no contact or no feeling for, it sounds a bit, for the club or um, that type of thing. Um, but um, that's not going to happen there. So maybe if something else comes along and I fancy doing it and you just want to, you just want to feel like if you're going to games that somebody cares about it. And there's a lot mm. of scouts that are just, sitting in front of computers and and um, not enjoying it's it's hard work scouting it's, it's hard work there's a lot of hours and a lot of time and you're on the road a lot and you know there's there's a lot of work that goes into it and you just want to feel that somebody's bothered about it or cares and i know a lot of scouts feel that they're not you know that what no matter what they do they see a player that nobody really is that bothered you know mm-hmm. but i had that with phil where you know, he'd asked me at the time who I'd seen. He, I watched his opposition, 
So uh, that sort of thing. So if the team won, you you feel like you've contributed. That's all you want to do. You just contribute. You know, same as if you're coaching, playing the best, coaching second, scouting. Still great to be involved and go to games. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, good luck to you anyway. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Tim, there was a lot of excitement from our followers when we announced that you were coming on. And a lot of them have sent questions in for you. So we've selected a handful of them. And X is going to give us the first one. All right, so this is from at ads2891. And he says, great guest choice, lads. My family had Tim round our house when he visited RAF Kinloss during QPR's pre-season with Holloway in charge. Great bloke. And he even signed a programme that I dug out from when he scored. So there you go. I don't know if you remember the fed up. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do. That's good. Well, there you go. I don't know remembers you too. So the question is, where is the best ground that you've played at and why? Oh, uh, good question. Um, uh, Everton comes to mind. Everton, Goodison Park. Um, mm. uh, that one, Anfield, the atmosphere, Old Trafford, those big grounds. Um, you know, I did, the one I remember, um, I say Everton, bittersweet really, I got sent off there. Only against Peter Beadley twice, jumped out of the way and I got two yellows. Um, but then went back there I think it was the next year, but went back there and um, he let me run and I managed to actually score, which didn't happen very often. And um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was down the end where the away supporters were, so all, all our supporters were like on the top shelf. And um, so I ended up in the back of the net and I've got a picture of myself in the net looking up at the West Ham supporters and celebrating. So I, I don't know, Everton always... Um, my father-in-law, my wife's family, they're all Everton supporters, so I've still got a picture in the house somewhere showing me scoring that goal, so <laughs> <laughs> that's my favourite one. It's funny, it's funny, I know, because I know exactly what you're talking about, because obviously we're doing the questions, Dave doesn't do any work and I do all the research, <laughs> so, so I was actually doing the research and I um, I actually watched that go against Everton, and you're right, you're in the net, standing up with your two fists clenched uh, up to the West Ham fans, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good image, that I can I can totally relate to why you would choose that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's right. I, I only put the whole fucking show together. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> 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 I love you, William. You actually, uh, you got a video of that goal. I didn't think that sort of thing existed. Yeah, yeah, I can send it on to you, mate, if you want. It's still, <laughs> well, still yeah, existed. Just, just <laughs> so I can send it on to me, um, me father-in-law and all his family. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll send that on to you, mate. <laughs> it's a bit crackly and, um, you know, <laughs> a That's bit fine. black and white. Yeah. Right, this one's from uh, at Andy Gunning. Question for Tim. If it's right that clubs will be looking to use their academies for players because of the financial sting from COVID-19, how do you think we will fare with the rest of the league when you look at some of the talent we have coming through? Um, yeah, as good as anybody. As good as anybody. Um, I think it's massive for football clubs um, or for academies to, to feel like they've got a ch chance of getting players through and um, when you look at Declan Rice playing in the first team and um, playing for England, you think, wow, and, you know, and he's one that um, I'd watched sort of grow up in the in my jobs, um, watching under-23 football, really for lone players rather than, you know, youth football. Um, so my job would involve 
looking for, you know, I, I don't know, um, we took, when I was at Bradford, we took two West Ham players up there um, who did very well for us. Um, it was Burke and Cullen, was it? Yeah, Cullen and Burke, they both, yeah. both ended up winning player of the year up there and um, very good lads and um, fantastic for the club there and fantastic hopefully, and I'm sure it has helped their careers as well. Um, yeah, so I remember watching Declan at Cinder Time and, and Fair Play, but that, for those young academy players, if they see somebody like that in the first team, not only for the players, but the staff, it, they think they've got a chance of getting players through and and I think it's, it's, it's sad, I know it's the way it is now, but you know, I know earlier we spoke about um, Frank Lampard and Rio and people like that and you know, you go from your own career and you know, and and it's almost impossible to get into the first team and hit the ground running and, and never come out. I know I personally had a few goes and then luckily stayed in because somebody was injured when you start your career. And, you know, like we spoke about Frank and he maybe needed a little bit more time than others. And But now they don't get that time, you know, it's, and it's so hard for them at that level. And, you know, you see players going out on loan and trying to prove and, and then then they've got to have the opportunity when they get back to the club and they want to keep playing and there's a lot of luck, a lot more luck involved in terms of getting into the team um, than there was then. You had a lot more time or you were given more time. You know? um, so if there is a case of that, that means those players get a little bit more time and are gradually um, brought into the team, then great. Um, and I think it's important when you see like the Mark Nobles of this world and, and then there's another... Um, players come through, they've got a real affinity to the club and I know when I came to West Ham with Stevie Potts and and uh, George Paris, people like that, um, Stuart Slater all come through and you know they're all um, got a, a real strong feeling for the club and, and I think that's something that if you could do at any club would be great if you can bring those players through um, sort of um, the culture then they it carries on and the things we're talking about now about the club that you know players get to understand that and it and it's something that's built through so yeah in answer to the question that let's hope that happens you know that if that's one good thing that could come out of this in terms of football um that younger homegrown players all fans want to see that don't they they all want to see um local local lads they, they feel like you know part of it they see them grow up and get into the team it's, it's a massive part for the game, you know? Mm, mm, definitely. Uh, uh, this question here is going to be a real tricky one. Um, this is uh, at Collins, um, Collins Rich. And he said, Tim, you're a great servant to the club. What was your favourite back four to play in during your time at West Ham? So we're assuming you're the right back. Who are your two right. centre-backs and your left back to play alongside? I'm just thinking, even for me to answer, you've got the likes of Alvin Martin, Tony mm. Gale from the early years, Steve Potts. And then you've got the likes of Rio, Slavin. Yeah, that's a tough question. Yes. Uh, yeah. Centre-halves are tough. Yeah. Mark Reaper was a... Yeah, Mark Reaper's a very good player, yeah. Yeah, yeah. International. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I know Dixie's going to have to be there. I played as, as many games. Um, and Potsy, yeah. Um, fantastic lad. Very underrated. Not by the West Ham fans, but maybe in, in the rest of the world, if you like. Um, and a great lad. Then, for me, 
memories-wise. I did play with Slaven a bit, um, but not as many games. Obviously, a fantastic player international. Um, then it would have to be between Alvin and Gailey, you know? Yeah. And, and um, probably because Alvin would have had a go at me more than Gailey, so I'd better say Alvin. <laughs> um, I'm laughing at this tweet as well because I'm sure there's some substance to this this one's from at West Ham underscore away can you ask Tim if he ever crossed the ball without doing his trademark fall over <laughs> uh, no probably not <laughs> you know what you know what I remember I know this is going to set you said about Trevor Brooking yeah he, he was one that I, as a kid, like, because I, I loved Keegan and Brooking playing for England. And I remember him falling over quite a lot. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think it was any problem. And you know what? I've even coached players to, look, just don't worry about it. What's, what's the matter? You know, you're not going to hurt yourself. Just get yeah. the ball in there as quick as you can. And yeah, didn't work well on the plastic pitch of Luton, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it does the bare bones, by the end of your time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is from at Pete878. In your eight years, eight straight nine years at West Ham, who was the best player you trained and played with? And I guess that's any position. Um, oh, well, yeah, some great players, some great players. Very lucky to play with, well, we've mentioned quite a few of them over the time. Um, well, the one for me, if I had to say who who could play maybe or anywhere that at the time could have played for anybody would have been Lugo and you say about yeah. training it's like wow could could you not that I was a striker but now and again we're allowed to have a shot or goal but with Ludo in there you thought I'm wasting my time you know and um it such a fantastic guy as well and I just remember sometimes you're under pressure at the end of a game and back in them days as well, it was long balls thrown into your box and centre-halves coming forward and elbows and, you know, the whole, like, especially on dodgy pitches. But then you'd have Ludo come flying out there about three foot, four foot above everybody else and just pluck it out there. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Mm. Um, and, then, and for such a big guy, being able to get down... Um, low and safe things around his feet and I just thought um, he would for me of, of all the players at West Ham that I played with who you know you could let's say he was English could play for the national team easy easy you know easy um, mm. so yeah he if I think about that then yeah luckily I played with some very very good players at, at West Ham and, um, but he would be for me, it would be the one who could have, like, say, played even, you know, internationally. He's, I know he did for his country, but, you know, you look around, he could have played for a top six club, no problem, anybody. Definitely. Yeah, mm, love, lovely fella as well, Ludo. Absolutely, yeah. And I spoke earlier about us going to uh, QPR together and kept in contact with him. And, and I know um, he's been over a couple of times and come and stayed at my house. And, because he, he was working for the Czech FA, so yeah, I kept in contact with him. So, and was going over there um, at the end of May, but not. Th this was with it. This with the group of my sons and lads and that. But that's obviously off. So, I'll have to give him a ring and say we're not coming. Mm -hmm. uh, this is from at Jason Twenty One Sayers. Can you ask Tim what he would do with the current season? 
Yeah, good question. I've, 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 you know, I talk to a lot of people about football, and you know, it always comes up. To be totally honest, I think the only fair, well, there's no fair way. There's no way that everybody's going to be happy. Uh, happy. It's not the only way I can see um, is to say sorry, null and void. Let's start next season. Mm. That would be it for me. It would be, you know, you're going to get people unhappy. But if you go on a points per game, whatever you go on, or you know, if uh, for me, I wouldn't start the season. I know obviously money comes into it, but starting the season with no fans there, with all the problems that there might be um, in terms of keeping everybody's safety, people aren't going to be happy, players aren't going to be happy, There's, it takes one incident, and then what's going to happen then? It's just, for me, it's a, it shouldn't be happening, it should be finished and concentrate on everybody um, in the country, the world out there getting rid of this disease so that we can go back to how things were as much as possible, but, um, that was if if I was in charge, I'd say sorry. But and and personally, I think it's a shame that the Premier League didn't come out and say that. I know money talks, but as the biggest league in the world, the richest league in the world, um, the the shining light for football. Let's say if they just said, look, so, look we're cancelling it now. Sorry, people are going to be unhappy, wherever it might be, to get promoted. Some there's winners and losers. Now we're going to concentrate on helping those around us and whether that be other football clubs or people with that with less money than us, whether it be the NHS and people who are trying to survive, losing their jobs, then that for me would have been ideal. But I know it's not an ideal world and money talks. And plus your in-laws are Evertonians, of course, as well, which is a yeah. factor. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it would mean, of course, Liverpool wouldn't win the league. And I'm sure that's... Uh... They absolutely love it, yeah. They would love it. <laughs> right, we seem to have lost X. No, can you hear me now? Oh, okay, mate, you're there. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just give me a chance, mate. Um. Sorry, mate. I was just just wondering why you didn't laugh at my hilarious joke. I thought we'd lost you. <laughs> I was laughing inside. Don't worry. Um, so um, it's at WHU assistant, um, and the, and he said. Uh, similar to what we've had before, but he said a great guest, great player. How we had, how I wish we had Tim at right back now. But he's also asked your favourite and least um, favourite ground. So obviously we've done favourites. So let's go with your least favourite ground that you played at. Oof. Um, well, uh, I remember going to Millwall and no fun, no fun. But I don't really want to say that because they might like that. <laughs> uh, Wigan, Wigan away. I think it was Wigan. Yeah, played around a little dog track and it was freezing cold. And place it was either Wigan or Hartlepool, something like that. You think, oh, this is not not great, and you have to get through the game. There's nobody there. Them sort of pitches where there, there's no atmosphere. Oh, Bristol Road was. I think we played there once. Mm. Um, what was the other? Oh. Um, Kidderminster in the cup, was it Kidderminster? Yeah, yeah, I was there, yeah. yeah. Was you there? Yeah, the I was there. Every <laughs> stand on top of the stand. Like. That's right, I was right behind the goal for that one, I remember it, it was good. <laughs> oh, yeah, them sort of places. Like, oh, one that comes to mind as well is the Wrexham away one. And in the snow. In the snow, that was, that it was crazy. There's no, there's no way the game should have been played and <laughs> thankfully we got through it, but it was... I suppose TV, they wanted it on and it was dangerous and 
And they wanted to see Hugo Porfirio's reaction to snow as well. He'd never yeah. seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> Scored it. It's like a puppy <laughs> running around. <laughs> yeah. 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 But they test you, don't they? Them sort of places, they, they test you and, and you win there. You know, the old one of, you know, the just rooms were locked and, you know, the, the, uh, the freezing cold, the showers and what have you, all that sort of stuff. It's there to test you. You know, it's going to be like that. Mm. But, um, yeah, yeah. And that's when football was really football. I miss those days. I really do. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one's from at PK Dodie Mead. Question for Tim. In his opinion, what effect does having to play in an empty stadium have on a player's motivation? Will some players be affected differently or once the game starts, players' competitive instincts take over? Um, I can't, I can't think it'll help them at all. As professionals, if you, I've never been in that situation, apart from in the uh, Anglo-Italian Cup. Mm-hmm. But um, that's another story. Um, but yeah, you, you, you have to motivate yourself. And, and yeah, once they're in the game, it's a game, but I can't help but feeling that there'll be that edge won't be there. It can't be. It can't be. It just there's no way that edge will be there. Maybe for one game or half of a game, but for the for a game on game on game, I just think it compromises the whole competition. And you know, I just wonder what would happen if I don't know. There's a mid-table team and they're playing in a game where it doesn't mean nothing to them. Are they going to be as motivated because there's no fans there? Mm. You know, um, they're going to put their body on the line the same. And so, no, it, it, there's. There's just no way it can be the same. It's no way, not without supporters there. You know, even even if there was, you get a couple of thousand. It's still there's that pride part about it. Okay, maybe the cameras are there, but the adrenaline, the adrenaline won't be there the same. I wouldn't have thought. Um, so you'll be pleased to know this is the last question. And, uh, it's it's um, at West underscore Ham for life. And he said, are players coached differently these days compared to when you were playing? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, different culture, isn't it? Different culture. The players are very, very um, protected. They're very rich. Um, to motivate them, it must be so different so difficult um i know there's things that it used to be back in our day two weeks wages was the threat and things like that to players um you know discipline wise but now it's like so what what's two weeks wages It'd be more like sorry you know you, you're not getting end off for time there's one thing they can't buy for that rich if you like is is um time um, yeah, and obviously training methods change a lot, and and um, I, you know sometimes you, it's interesting what what sort of in vogue at the time, and then it changes, and then you think, oh, man, that's something we used to do years ago, and, and um, so it, yeah, it's massively changed. And and one of the big things for me, the science side of it helps the players in terms of not just the training but the recovery side of it, and and you see players playing. Um, the amount of football that they play at the level that they're playing and they go again and I don't think we could have done that but I've been, I've, I've been on cycle things and when you have the right recovery drinks and the right process scientifically you're eating the right things and obviously not drinking gallons of beer after game helps but um, <laughs> um, you think yeah 
that scientific side must is plays a massive part in it. Uh, but you know, um, so you think what would what the difference would be for yourself if you went through that? But yeah, that that plays as much a part. And training methods are slightly different, um, but not massively from what I've seen. Mm. Tim, thank you so much for coming on, mate. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, very much so. Brought back a few memories. Definitely. Well, listen, I know X has already said it, but on behalf of every West Ham fan, thank you so much for the service you gave this club and thank you for those memories you're talking about. And we wish you the very best of luck for the future, pal. No worries. Pleasure's mine anytime. And uh, let's see what happens the rest of the season. Good luck to everybody. Stay safe. And um, thanks very much for your time. X, the man in the know. Okay, mate, what have you got for us this week? Well, it's not a huge amount because there's always not a lot's happened in the, in, the, in the world, full stop. But um, some of the provisions that uh, have been talked about that are going to have to happen for training and things like that um, and how they're going to try and get the matches up on the uh, um, up and running have been shared with um, professionals. And, I mean, some of the things, I just don't know how, how these are ever going to work. Like, for example... Um, when like they have to have every player's gonna have to have their own bib, which I know in itself is uh, quite straightforward. But in football, you know what it's like. You would chuck them into a bag and things like mm. that. They all have to have their own bibs, although they can't stand two meters near each other when they're doing so they can't work on set pieces because obviously like you know if you do a free kick for example you need a wall they're not allowed to do that at the moment they've been told that they shouldn't really take throw-ins because obviously the person's picking up with their hands and then potentially throwing it to someone else's head so they've got to try to crack down on throw-ins in training and maybe only do it as like a, a kick in um you know they they can't uh They've got to try to avoid close contact with each other. So small-sided games um, have to take into account that players have got to try not to get physical with each other. So you might be able to play a game of like non-contact football, but that isn't football. You see what I mean? And then these are some of the things that they're having to having to put in, like you know, dividing up the pitch into two halves, um, having one set on one, one set on the other and alternating it. And it's just looking like ridiculous. You know, when players rest, they've got to stand two metres apart. And I just don't know how in the culture of football, it's like primary school kids going back to school, how you can actually police this to make it work. Um, It's just really, really going to be so challenging to actually do. And then when it comes to the actual um, matches, you know, what they're talking about having to do is regular um like testing so for example i'm just trying to find the advice that i was given but it's something along the lines of they um you know they have a testing on the friday sorry the thursday the friday they play the game on the saturday and then they have to test on monday tuesday wednesday before they play a game on wednesday so yeah so basically the team um it's costing like the Premier League millions to get tests. So if there's a game on Saturday, they do the test on Thursday, they get results on Friday, and then that decides whether they're fit to play on Saturday. And then if it's a Wednesday game, they do on the Monday, they do the test, Tuesday they get the results, and then the manager can decide who he picks on the Wednesday. So how do you work on consistency? If I mean, you'd like to think that the players, no one would get the virus, 
but it does mean that every day you're not sure what players are going to be available and you, and you won't be able to work on set plays. There was something in the Telegraph today, I don't know how true it was, that when players tackle, they're going to be told to try and turn their face away from the opposition. Oh, I, don't know, I, I don't know if that was a joke or not because I didn't look into it, but I just don't see how how it's practically possible to carry on with football at the moment. And I know they're talking about it, but if you're going to have to implement all of these things, like take pretty much taking away any physical contact or any sort of standing next to each other, how do you yeah. actually play football as we know it? Yeah, I, I, I don't... I, well, you definitely can't as we know it. Um, but it's just one too many adjustments. You know, if it was just a case of, right, the scrap throw-ins on the tra- training pitch because in case you throw to the head or something ridiculous like that. But there's sort of five or six other things you've mentioned there. And it's going to get to a point where the players are going to be so disorientated with what they are actually allowed to be doing. It's it's just, surely it's just worth saying, well, fuck this. This is so stupid. Let's just, let's just call it a day. And then we'll, you know, it's either, it should be everything or nothing at all. You know, and I think it's, too many grey areas in society and in football, but where football's concerned, I think it should just be shut down to everyone's clear to play the normal game, and then we'll resume it as and when the day comes. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, mate. I just wish they would do that. To be honest with you, um, mm. I agree with what Tim said on the show. I just don't think there's any other option but to either void it or mm. carry over the points until you can start it up again. But there's, you know, there the Premier League. I think it is a threatening clubs that if they don't start it now, then might not be football for a year i mean why they people's health and safety footballers as well i know we will say they're really highly paid and stuff but obviously they don't want to risk losing their doesn't matter how much money you earn you don't want to risk yours and your relatives lives um it just, it just needs to be put off until everything's ready to go ahead again. And, you know, it's interesting because, like, we're, you know, the German league's going to start again this weekend. But Germany, you know, they relaxed their lockdown and they're already seeing an upturn in viruses again. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just a very surreal scenario. But, yeah, that's the situation. So that actually leads on quite nicely to what the other thing I was going to do with you is that we talked about doing it on last week's show, but I couldn't find the app. As I just said, the German season, I think, starts this weekend again. And where there's the absence of football, I think there's like the Belarus League and stuff, but nothing of any note. Germany is the biggest main league that's restarting. I thought it'd be quite fun, certainly for the short term, for us to adopt a German team. <laughs> and now I yeah, let's, let's do it. But no cheating, though. No, I promise you. Set me up with some shit house. No, I think we're going to support the same one. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Well, so it's I up to you. We'd, what, we'd what would be, well? I thought if we do the same one, and then obviously when we do the West Ham way podcast, it'll be um, it'll be like we're talking about the same club, unless we do do a different one. But then it'd be a bit crap if like one of us gets the bottom team and the other gets Bayern Munich or something. So um, yeah. it maybe yeah. it's best to do the same one because then we've got a common thing to talk about. We don't want to fall out of each other. <laughs> yeah, go on, in, mate. So, yeah. Right. So basically, I've done through this, and it's like. On my screen now, it's a bit, it's on Betway, the the like the West Ham um, sponsors, and it's basically cycling through all the teams now. I can see it, um, and I, I you, you can do this kind of questionnaire thing that says like you know do, is glory important to you? Do, is tradition important? Blah 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 blah, and it picks your team based on your answers. But most of them. Like, I don't know, I thought it was a bit silly. So this is the best way to do it. So when I did it earlier, I picked Schalke, which actually would have been a decent shout, to be fair. Mm. Um, 
but for the benefit of us, I'm going to do one together, and I'm just going to stop my finger. So you tell me when to stop, and I'll stop it. Okay, so I'll give you a countdown from 10. Okay. And on zero, you hit the button, yeah? Uh, yeah. Right. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have, mate. We're not going to have much success, that's for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we picked out the bottom team. They're called Fortuna Dusseldorf. Oh, fucking hell. I know. I've never even heard of them, I don't think. So, <laughs> right, let me have a look at the German league. We're on oh, all the teams, mate. Um, first of all, I'm impressed. No, me neither. No, exactly. I mean, first of all, I'm impressed you can count from 10 to zero. <laughs> so well, well done on that one. But, um, yeah, yeah, I wasn't going to go to 20 off the bat. I don't want to push myself too hard. Yeah, exactly. Right, let's have a look. Oh, we're in a relegation battle. Shock. So, so, so the bottom team is SC Paderborn, who I've definitely never heard of. Then there's Werder Bremer. And then in... It's got two lines around it, so I'm assuming they're being a relegation playoff at the moment, and with four points behind the next team is Fortuna Dusseldorf. Oh, oh that no. is I'm not sure I fancy this. Should we have another go? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, you know, if anything, you know, some light entertainment going into a different league in a different country is that we might get a break from the constant stress of supporting oh, the football. Club, it looks like you, just dub- you just doubled the anguish there. I don't know, I think I've literally picked the identical team for West Ham. Right, let, let's do let's do best of three then. <laughs> best of three. Best of three, right. I'll just, I'll just count me down from three this time. Okay. Three, two, one, now. Oh my god. Right, this time we've gone slightly better, but we've now inherited Reese Oxford. And we've got we've got FC Augsburg as our as the other one. Right. So Let's go again and we'll pick and we'll, and we'll see what happens. Right, so count from three now. Okay, three, two, one, now. Oh, mate, this is literally ridiculous. We've got the three teams in a row. We've got, so this is Mans. So we've got Dusseldorf, <laughs> Mans, and Augsburg. They're all literally in a row. Dusseldorf, 16th, Mans, or Mans, I don't know how to pronounce that, 15th, and Augsburg, 14th. This no just, way. This is just stupid. Right, let's go one more time. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, until we get a decent team, right? One, two, three. You did it yourself there. Yeah. Oh my god, we got Pap and Dormish, the better team, right? <laughs> I oh, mean, it's, laugh, I'm not. I honestly am not, mate. It's unbelievable. Out of the, we've done it four times, and out of the bottom eighteen, we've picked four of them. I think. I think we. Well, let's just go for the first one, mate. I think. I think we're destined just to support a crap team. I, th- I think so, mate. It just goes to show it's the curse of the West Ham fan. It is so. Shower of shit wherever we go. Well, that's it. So Fortune Dusseldorf it is. Um, let's just have a look what it tells us about Fortune and Dusseldorf, so I can tell you a bit about what we're letting ourselves in for. First of all, I've never heard them. Heard of them. And second of all, Dusseldorf. It's not the easiest of words to spell for a dyslexic, so that's not great for me. <laughs> um, right. Um, Fortuna Dusseldorf is a, Dorf, is a German football club in Dusseldorf, North Rhine-Westphalia, founded in 1895. Oh, my gosh. Guess who the manager is. At least I know who the manager is. No, go on. Right. Think of a um, one of the first Germans that I can remember playing in the Premier League. Klinsmann. 
just before him. He was an East German as well, which was quite unique. And then he, then obviously the wall went down. He played oh. for he played for Man City, Southampton. Oh, not um, Rosler. Yeah, Uwe Rosler. Really? <laughs> so, so Uwe Rosler's the manager. They actually finished tenth in the Bundesliga last year, so that's not too bad um, in terms of players, notable players. Um, <laughs> yeah, ne- never heard of any of these players. They're all none of them are recent players anyway. Um, our rivals are FC Köln, yeah, and um, yeah, Bayern Leverkusen, and then um, everyone hates Munich. Um, and it doesn't even take the time to tell you. Oh, yes, it does. They are players, right? They're all Germans. Some Turkish guy. Literally have not heard of a single one of these players. No, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, that's tragic, that is. I know. How could we have done this? This was our chance. Wait, they got someone called Zimmerman. Didn't he play for Norwich or is that someone else? I know who you're talking about. I don't know if that's him, though. It might be. I don't know. I'm guessing Germans. Zimmerman's probably quite a common name. Isn't yeah. There? There's a guy called Oliver Fink, who's the captain. His name sounds vaguely familiar. No, not to me, it don't. Right, um, well, happy days. That's that's our team. <laughs> wow. Well, what are they called again? Fortuna Dusseldorf. <laughs> Fortuna Dusseldorf. Let's look at our fixtures. Probably a way to buy <laughs> Munich first one. Let's have a look. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I must admit, God. I'm not, not overly excited about this. Um, <laughs> our, fi- our fixtures are the first game is... Um, Oh, against the bottom team. So we could start at home against the bottom team oh, this Saturday. So we could start off with a win. and then I'm, gonna, we're play- I'm actually going to keep my eye out for him. Oh, we should do, on. mate. And then we're playing Cole, which I assume is Cologne. Where are they? Um, uh, can't actually see them. That might be... The- that might be the rivals. Don't know. Don't know what that one stands for. Um, and then we've got Schalke. Then we've got Munich. So... Some tough games in there. Then we've got Hoffenheim and Dortmund. So yeah, things don't look great, but we might start we might start off with a win this Saturday. So come on, Fortuna Dusseldorf. We'll have to get working on our Germans, see if we can uh, learn their um their iconic song if they've got one. Yeah, that's how I'm looking at their stadium now. Stadium actually looks fairly decent in fairness to them. Yeah, it's not a bad little stadium they've got there. Yeah, uh, and I'm gonna have a look at the kit, see what colours we playing. I'm guessing by the badge we playing red, but let's have a look. Um, yeah, red, red, like main body, and then like red and white stripes on the arms. Nice. Yeah, not not a bad little kit. Ah, see, you're, you're falling in love already. I can tell. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm actually really disappointed with that. I, was, <laughs> I, I should have just stuck with Schalke. They're pushing for a um, European spot. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a better shout. Yeah, Definitely. exactly. Oh well, there we go. Oh, right, you. which leads us on to something else. Uh, the new, the new, uh, the other new avenue that we find in our lives. Yes, definitely. And and this was one of your ideas. So from time to time, like, like an eclipse. Once in a blue moon, you do come up with a good idea. And, uh, and and I think this could be one of them because, you know, we do have a, a mutual love of nostalgia. Um, if you look at our ages, you know, a lot of our memories come from the 90s. And uh, we've often joked around and, and taken a trip down memory lane on this very show. And I think just organically, we've kind of come to the conclusion that 
as a little side project, it might be quite a good idea to relive some of those memories, some of those laughs and some of those nostalgic, iconic moments from that decade uh, in the form of a podcast, mm. um, which I think is a really good idea. So we're looking to do, um, I don't know, possibly five or six episodes X, aren't we, in a, in a one series just to see how we get on with it. Yeah, I mean, we've picked themes out that are sort of, I guess, um, resemble our, our growing up. So uh, the, the idea sort of originated from the fact that Euro 96 is on. And I, and I remember that just being such a magical time to be in, like, you know, to grow up in London and to, to be mm. around and stuff. So it started with an idea to do that. And I think we should, as I said before, should, fingers crossed, have a top guest on that, that scored in that tournament and played a yeah. massive, massive part of... Um, the success of the national team. So we hope to have that guest on, um, but I don't want to say who he is just yet, just in case um, mm. it falls through. And there was a, I was actually speaking to a Scottish player as well that said he would come on that played in the match um, against England. So we'll see what happens with that. But that started off as it. And then I thought, well, World Cup 98 was, uh, was also an iconic tournament. So we thought, well, maybe we could do a bit of a reflection on that. And then it just sort of spread. And we're thinking about doing that, plus talking about West Ham, at the time as well, sort of players that we were signing. And uh, so there'll be an element of West Ham, but also there'll be like music thrown in. Um, wrestling, I think, might feature mm. uh, lifestyle things that we were going through in the 90s, you know, like computer games. That I, I sent you on WhatsApp the other day, like I think it was like top 100 games from the 90s. And yeah, obviously, I think, I think what we'll do is we'll pick like maybe our top 20 or talk about some of those significant ones and just how good they were. And, and then, and then you go sort of late nineties, you know, I'm edging towards, you know, well, I'm sort of certainly at drinking age towards the end of that. And, uh, mm. you know, going into the sort of club scene, the music, the, the mm. nightclubs, um, yeah, and it was uh, it was a great time, and um, well, think... even being at school in the nineties as well. Yeah, you know, for, for me, I know we went to two very different schools, but yeah. you know, to reflect on some of the sort of capers there would would, would be good. And there's, there's just so much you can talk about. You know, it was such a fantastic era, and I think I think like any era, you appreciate it more once it's passed than you oh, did yeah. at the time. Definitely, um, so much content to talk about. So we're going to kind of concentrate on specific subjects surrounding that era you know so you know week one could be lifestyle then it could be school then it could be fashion it could be music could be football um, it could be I'm a mixture of them yeah it could be a mixture across the podcast as well because obviously you might do it for an hour or so and you can talk about one or yeah. two themes but i think hopefully it will give people that chance to reminisce as well if you live through that era if you're too too young to have been through it well, it'll be a bit of an insight into into what your generation before was doing um <laughs> and um and you know and, it, and it'll be a bit of an insight into me and you i mean i think people have said that they they do like it when we as we often do go off on a tangent and stuff so uh you know, yeah. being, being uh, an insight because dave and i to the listening we grew up about what three four miles from each other obviously didn't yeah. know each other but um so we all went we both went to the, he was same... in the rich part i was in the poor part <laughs> 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 I was well, the well there you go <laughs> you said it not me <laughs> I do, I do find it a little bit uncomfortable socialising with you, but uh, I've, I've broken down those barriers. I think we're, I think we're a living testimony to. to, to Still the stores as soon as he's dropped me off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Check my wallet. Still got all my cash. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think you know. We, so we have similar experiences in terms of nightclubs and you know playing football in the same areas and uh, stuff like that. So uh, 
you know if you if you this is this should be i hope not just for west ham fans because we will mention things that were happening like obviously things like alan shearer was the world record transfer at the time you know that was a massive thing you got the kevin keegan meltdown that happened and there's like there's some iconic football moments you know the bet beckham breaking onto the scene and you know you don't win anything with kids and all that stuff i mean the, the 90s was such a iconic decade that i think this should hopefully appeal to everyone and it could be me hosting it and you as the guest. We haven't completely yes. decided that, but that will be a bit of a change as well because I'm not sure how comfortable I feel being the host, but we'll give it a go and we'll see We'll see what happens. And if you don't like it, we well, don't listen. But hopefully, even if it's just me and you that listen back, it'll be good for us to be able to reminisce. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said earlier, you know, there, there are, have been people in the past that's commented on some of the conversations that we've had whilst going off on a tangent. And, uh, you know, I think you don't even have to have lived through that era to have appreciated it. I mean, I love hearing some of the stories about the 60s, 70s and 80s from people before me. And uh, hopefully, you know, if we can make some people smile in the process by sharing some of our memories of that decade, it'd be great. And and if we don't, people don't like it, then uh, bollocks to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, and it, it should it should be fun. And if people listen to this podcast, do have any sort of suggestions of themes or anything, particularly from the nineties that they remember. Like, you know, I was digging out my um, Merlin Premier League ninety five sticker album the other day, and you know what's funny? I wrote down. This is how bored I've been recently. I wrote down all the stickers I was missing, and then I went on to like eBay to see how much it would cost if I bought them, and it would cost me something like 60 quid to um, finish my album whereas you can buy a completed album for like 20 quid and, I'm like, <laughs> and, I'm, and, I'm, and part of me is thinking like do I just bite the bullet and just buy one that's already completed yeah. but then, there's no achievement in that is it? No exactly and this is the this was my album that I had in the 90s so I need yeah. to finish my album even if it's going to cost like <laughs> treble the amount it should do like uh, yeah. Yeah. and it's funny like some of the players that I realised I was missing funnily I collected all of West Ham so standard there like I'm obviously made sure that I got all the West Ham ones but there's some players that I'm missing that you just think bloody hell like one of the ones I'm missing from Sheffield Wednesday is a fella called O'Neill Donaldson who <laughs> like, I've never ever yeah. heard exactly I've never ever heard of him but in the 90s he must have been really pissing me off because I didn't have his sticker so um, so yeah he's, <laughs> he's missing and then there's a few iconic ones I'm missing Chris Waddle which is quite a big one um, yeah so, uh, yeah Stan Collymore is missing from Liverpool I seem to remember but uh, probably be in prison <laughs> but, um, yeah so, so i um, yeah there you go so that, that's yeah. the situation right okay that is the end of the show a big thank you to tim breaker for coming on and a big thank you to you guys for listening and giving us your questions look after yourselves blacky and until next week come on you irons you had to know that when wingstop set out to make a crispy juicy chicken sandwich they wouldn't make it in just one flavor they'd make it in all 12 like lemon pepper mango habanero hickory smoked barbecue and og hot so why have one new favorite chicken sandwich when you can have 12 try the new sauced and tossed wingstop chicken sandwich today for only 5.49 at wingstop where flavor gets its wings valid for a limited time and available at participating wingstop locations only while supplies last price subject to applicable taxes and fees. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frames. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hon, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, 
groceries so you can get a little more of what you need. Find a vision center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.